Welcome to Geared for Growth and this bonus episode of the podcast, which is a recording of a webinar that I recorded on Wednesday the 6th of May with the CEO of Rye House Advisory, Jacob Field. Now we talked about a survey that he sent out to 146 property experts, including buyers, agents, economists, even quantity surveyors, talking about where they see the biggest impact from a property sector point of view, a regional versus capital city point of view on the back end of the pandemic. And we also had a chat to Jacob about the safe zone. So he commissioned a report looking at the property market safe havens, where he saw that the property markets in that area had less of an exposure to things like short-term accommodation, travel, and that sort of thing. So here is a copy of the webinar, and I hope you enjoy it. Hi, everyone, and thank you for joining us for the webinar. I've been looking forward to this one for a while. We've got a very special guest, Jacob Field, on the line there, live via satellite from Hobart. And we've got a lot of a lot of content to, to get through tonight. Um, and... Uh, it's 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 a really it's a very fluid situation that we're dealing with at the moment, and and Jacob has, has commissioned some some research to help us navigate this COVID nineteen situation. So we're going to jump straight into it just by virtue of the fact that we've got a lot to share tonight. Um, so thanks for jumping on. So who is Jacob apart from that little square in the bottom right hand side? He's a property investor himself and a property market analyst. You're much better dressed there up the top, mate, I've got to say. <laughs> <laughs> the CEO of Ripe House Advisory, IT, wizard, artificial intelligence, machine learning, all that sort of stuff um, that is just concepts to me. He can plug anything in, turn it off and on again. Regular media commentator, <laughs> especially since he's been putting out these um, these great um, research reports. So just to give you a bit of an idea about what we're going to cover, we're going to look at Jacob's report, which surveyed 146 experts, or at least they made the cut in the, in the final swarm intelligence-based report. And we're going to see what they had to say about the property market, where it's going, uh, what they expect to see, the sectors that are most likely to be hard, hardest hit. Jacob's going to share his data about the property market safe havens and where they are, which is really important for investors that are looking to this opportunistic time to potentially pick up properties. Of course, yeah. conversely, there's what investors should be avoid or, or, or avoiding, which areas investors should avoid. Um, how Jacob utilised his data and all the available data to select all the properties and locations and then a Q&A as well. In the uh, window, you should see a copy of that um, property versus COVID-19 report, which is the, uh, the survey that we've been uh, referring to. And you can also get a copy at the Ripe House uh, website as well. So, Jacob, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you for having me, Mike. It's uh, a pleasure to be jumping online. And I think we are going, you know, Scott Morrison's talking on Facebook as we speak. So hopefully <laughs> these people that are, you know, focused on property and focused on Scott. So clearly for marketing, it's, it's a, a big sort of double header. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can get the summary of, of what he's he's been saying. Um, so you're much better off with us for the next little while. But uh, yeah, it's it's some tough competition. But um, Jacob, I'm interested in in why you actually commissioned the report. Of course, when when COVID's happening, people are wanting to know what's happening with property. We're seeing mm. the same publication, like even the the Fin Review saying property prices are going to go down ten percent as per CBA. They're going to go up twenty or thirty as per Christopher Joy. You mm. actually um, got on the front foot and you spoke to a bunch of experts on mass. But what was the real sort of motivation for you? Yeah, I, I guess in my day job, I mean, you know, a large part of our focus is working with other professionals in the industry and we provide research and consultancy and advisory to them and in a lot of cases actually doing the on-the-ground asset selection for them. You know, they were coming to us. We were grasping, I guess, with, you know, a, a different set of problems uh, or, or comprehending them on a daily basis, you know, six weeks ago. So um, I, our focus, I guess, as an organisation has always been looking at the micro and comparing suburbs versus suburbs across the country. 
Uh, and, you know, it was under the assumption, I guess, that it's always a good time to buy an investment property. You know, it has been for a long time in Australia. And, you know, I've been investing for nearly 20 years. Uh, and, you know, you had your down patches. But, you know, if anyone asks me when's the best time to buy an investment property, it's today. Mm. You know, that, that's the best time. And, uh, you know, I, that, that's why, I guess, we've never focused on is it the right time to buy property full stop in Australia, the macro viewpoint. And um, we were, you know, I guess in solving that problem, not comfortable in, in speaking uh, without, you know, a basing opinion on fact uh, and a technique that we had used quite successfully in the past to predict markets that are going to grow is something that we call, is called swarm intelligence, where the, I guess the opinion of a swarm or a crowd of people is more accurate the individual in 95% of cases. So uh, I didn't want to stand there and, and answer questions and, and I was having you know multiple conversations with professionals on a daily basis and not comfortable in answering that question about what I thought was going to happen. Let's ask uh, the, you know, the industry. Let's the ask swarm. the trusted professionals. professionals. And uh, I think the important thing, uh, my wife, you know, Anna is from API Magazine and she's actually come across back to, to Ripe House um, you know, the important point is, if you talk to someone in property, they're bullish, okay? You know, their livelihoods are on the line at the mm. moment, you know? Um, they've got to pay the bills. So they're always looking at the, at the, at the bright side and the positives. Uh, you've got to balance that against other people, you know, other professionals that are in the industry that might have a, uh, a less direct relationship to the dollars, okay? And, and Anna's generally gone to... Uh, industry academics to solve that to, mm. to solve that uh, that problem. Uh, so we needed to make sure that when we went out to the professionals in the industry, we had a, a mix. Okay, so you know you've got professionals on the ground, valuers, sales agents, buyers agents, you know accountants, coin surveyors. Uh, you've got real estate institute uh, bodies, you know the presidents and all the state members. Uh, but then you also have academics. You have business leaders, you have uh, fund leaders, so other asset classes, uh, and you need the broad spectrum. So we went out uh, across our network. It's actually up to 151 people have filled in quite a detailed set of information for us. Uh, anything that sort of stood out, we, we took the time to, to, to ask the why, and we got on the phone and, and had a chat through. So, yeah, it's, it's right across the board. I mean, Adrian Kelly from REIA down to all the state members, uh, you know, Sydney Uni, um, Adelaide Uni, Melbourne Unis, uh, all the property professors uh, and academics, uh, and then a lot of the older custodians of the industry with, you know, that have been around the block a few times, I guess, yeah. uh, to, to, to provide that, that spectrum. Yeah, and of course, if you take a look at that report, you'll see some of the big names and, and the individual quotations on some of the some of the questions. Um, I wanted to ask you about the the base case. So, of course, it's a fluid situation. We hear lots of of, of adjectives like it's it's unprecedented, it's fluid, but you you created a, a framework for I guess uh, I guess to level the playing field, so we could say here's what we think is going to happen based on these sets of cri criteria. And I'm interested what that was. And while you're answering that, I want to stick up a poll just to get the pulse of the room of where <laughs> people think property prices are going to be in 12 months. So it's up to you guys to give us the um, the crystal ball. So far, it's down. <laughs> oh, and here it's come. It's coming back up. Anyway, Jacob, talk. Tell us about the base case. Yeah. Okay. So this was so this is a point in time. Okay. So it obviously takes a, a little while to get the team, you know, focused on on producing a document like this. I mean, it's not a a one pager. Uh, this is a deep dive process for us to make sure we actually got to the crux of the issue and and solved for it. Uh, so the, the point in time, I guess, that we drew was six weeks ago, and that was a, a publication by the Sydney, uh, University of Sydney uh, around uh, there was a, a base scenario that they were defining, and it's you know it's it's in line with uh, current government policy, which they're opening up, um, you know, isolation, social distancing, but you know, non-essential workers working from home where possible, uh, you know, it's it's in line with our current life, but yep. I guess probably. The only difference over that four to six weeks uh, post has been the, the flattening of the curve. You know, there, there were the predictions for that base case that it was still going to sort of creep up and, 
uh, I think we've smashed out of the park, obviously, as a country. But uh, obviously, you know, hopefully these fingers crossed no phase two. But that's probably the exception is that whilst we have acted on the base case for the report, the success of those measures has been, uh, you know, yeah, we've had we've had the desired effect and and probably yeah. to the positive uh, from from where the report was drawn. So, but yeah, of course you had to have a bit of a framework, and it takes some time to put that together. And that was the best um, the best advice of what was likely to happen then. And I think that made it it really great because people weren't sort of saying, oh, you know, well, it's depending on if this happens, if this happens. We're saying, well, based on if this happens, what are you thinking is going to happen? And the room is is thinking that. 37% of people are neutral for property prices, 33 down and 20 saying up. So I think I'm guessing that that matches the survey um, fairly well. What did the market, uh, what did the experts say about the market, starting with when did they think the maximum impact of any negative price growth or, or, or growth in prices would actually happen? When were we going to see it? Yeah, actually, this was the line in the sand was drawn before there were the major announcements around mortgage holidays and uh, even job seeker, job keeper that hadn't actually kicked in yet. Mm. Uh, I'm so so probably just to answer your question directly, uh, three to six months was the the period where where the, the professionals did feel that the industry would be hardest hit, and that was you know government policy has come in to address that period through to October. Uh, with with the infill, uh, the, probably the, the key takeaway, you know, is seventy two percent of respondents did feel that property prices would be less than they are now in in twelve months time. So, yep. um, look, this is all quite speculative as well, obviously. But you know, in the industry, you do follow along with a lot of social media profiles and commentary, and it does seem that. Publicly, individuals are, are very bullish, but privately in answering a survey, um, you know, when you structure a survey uh, to be non-biased, uh, you know, it's in it's interesting how the, the swarm actually sort of gets to the gut feel of it. That's um, good. And that's something that the media has typically struggled to do, right? We're just getting the doom and gloom or the, or the best case scenario. And, um, you know, as Wargent says, things are, are never as bad or as good as, as they seem. So you were able to get a little bit more of the, the balanced middle view. Yeah. Uh, look, having said that, uh, the it wasn't too far. So we broke it down into segments. So it was the majority of people were pretty close to prices at the moment, but it was 72% did say less than where we are now. Yeah, right. And, yep. and in in terms of the um, of the respondents to the survey survey did did they sort of specify where the the dem demographics would point to the people being the hardest hit and and if so what what sort of findings came of the survey there yeah it was some really interesting comments i guess uh, pro probably veronica morgan um, from good deeds buyers agent she made some statements around uh, so the, the general question was around the demographics and it was the lower socio, which was generally attached to outer ring, mid to outer ring of the capital cities. Yep. So as opposed to regionals, which was a separate category, uh, would be hardest hit. But then digging into that a little bit deeper, some of the interesting comments were around, uh, you know, typically those suburbs in those outer rings have all been built at similar times. So, you know, you've got your McDonald's, you know, suburbs that have popped up. They might be all, you know, generally 90% or 80% of the properties are eight years old or three years old whenever the development went through. So you have a lot of similar types of people in a similar financial position in even similar industries in the same area. And that means that their properties are typically a similar price, but more importantly, they are the same distance along their mortgages. Okay, so they've all typically gone into those properties. You know, you go into your blue chip, your more established suburbs that typically have a longer tenure in or holding times. You've got some units and some $4 million properties. You've got some people who've lived there for 50 years and some people have just moved in. You have that variety. And variety equals diversity, which lowers risk. Okay. Right. So when you're talking about suburbs that have been you know, popped up, you have the larger... Uh, we're not just talking about supply at the moment. We're not talking about supply risk. We're talking about homogenous uh, residents. Okay. And that presents where they are impacted in a similar way, greater risk. Yep. And that was probably digging into it uh, a little bit deeper, um, that, that's probably the, the, the feeling. And, and we've used that in the research post. Yep.
Yeah. What about states? Were there any particular states where the swarm were saying we were likely to, to see more impact and, and for what reasons were, were quoted? Yeah, okay. So there's a little bit of contradiction here. Um, so New South Wales was overwhelmingly selected as the, the, the state likely to fill the pinch. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, digging into that a little bit deeper, it was around density where New right. South Wales was on its own property cycle. It was sort of in the recovery, you know, the stars were trying to align. So it was a little bit more sensitive for the rug to be pulled out from underneath. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then at the density of population and pockets of those homogenous types of properties that have all popped up over the last five years through the last building boom. Um, Daniel Collins really did mention that quite well from REI, WA, uh, you know, he was talking about this could be a fundamental shift in why and how people live uh, and moving away from that dense population. Um, yep. You know, you're up in Newcastle, up the coast, is that going to become something that is, uh, you know, more done? And Sydney probably is is most at risk for a change or shift in, in how people feel and live. Yep. And... Yeah. Um, Marty's sort of interested in, in whether you'll revisit these opinions in six months. I, I guess it depends if the, the pandemic's still going, right? Yeah, look, we've, um, we haven't stopped on this report because we're still fielding questions every day. And so we've got probably two further layers of research that have, have come out in the last week or two, yeah. uh, which I can touch on at the end. Around yeah. uh, listings, uh, we, we're basically, we've just released a, a piece of content today uh, which is about, you know, the Australian property industry has shut down for all but essential workers. <laughs> you know, you know, it's, it's basically, you know, closed up the shop uh, and also how population. So you put a handbrake on population growth. How is that going to impact certain areas? So um, I can cover that in a little bit more detail towards the end. But I think this, you know, we've got an amazing resource of research and a great team, uh, you know, we're all lucky enough to have it at Ripe House to to open that research up to people, and that's what we're doing. Uh, I think that's the best way that we can help in this time. So we're, you know, every day trying to dig a little bit deeper and, and publishing what we find. So, um, Absolutely. And, and on another question, Luke has asked where rents are likely to be hit hardest and, and how will that affect prices? We're actually going to dive into that in some pretty good detail with the suburbs report, which we promised to anyone that was attended. So if you can... Um, Absolutely. Have a bit of patience there, Luke. We're we're going to go big on that one. Um, before we jump into some of your slides, um, Jacob, I want to chuck up another poll because I know people love polls. <laughs> I want to know if people are looking to buy an investment property in the next twelve months. So people are sort of saying, uh, and no, Joe, you can't change your answer um, to the last one. People are saying that they're expecting it to go down, but I'm wondering if they're seeing that as an opportunity and that's making them want to buy or whether they're terrified. It looks like people are pretty um, optimistic about it. Um, I wanted to ask you about the property um, property sectors. Were there parts of the markets that the experts were saying were likely to be harder hit than others? Yeah, and that, that we can use that as a segue potentially, Mike, into, into answering the question around where rent's potentially going to be hit. But... Uh, obviously, look, it's a no-brainer when you sit here and think. And, and obviously, over time, over the last six weeks, it has, you know, really revealed itself. But six weeks ago, we were we were actually still, we were reeling, I guess, as an industry and, and individuals. And, you know, each day we were realising, oh, well, hang on, that's going to change completely and that's going to change completely. So, uh, look, the respondents were quite quick to the mark. We gave them, you know, quite a detailed list of individual property strategies or types of property. You know, all the segments of commercial, uh, you know, Renault for profit, you know, blue chip, you know, negative, you know. But I guess the the, the main ones that, that came as the highest risk categories, the highest segments of property and asset classes were the short-term tenants, uh, uh, you know, highly dependent on Airbnbs and holiday stays uh, and retail commercial. Yep. Uh, as opposed to... The, the actual segments that they thought would be most insulated were the high-density boarding. So it's not something to do with cash flow. It's obviously the dependency on tourism, not high cash flow investments. They actually felt that the boarding houses, the rooming houses, the high-density, uh, which we've seen a trend in the last few years towards, is quite insulated. Uh, Interesting, and I guess that that's as as 
um, separate to like student accommodation. This is not overseas students or it's not relying on people being coming from overseas, which is impossible. It's actually, um, you know, due to the housing unaffordability or what have you, or just a preference for that sort of, of, of low-cost accommodation. Yeah, look, I probably I could speak for a whole webcast on this, but we've done a lot of work, uh, a lot of work uh, in the boarding house space with with clients in the last few years. Um, just really quickly, you know, the, the common perception is that boarding houses, rooming houses, are going to be filled with students. Okay, yeah. they're going to become you know a uni accommodation. The largest or the fastest growing demographic of homelessness in the country is fifty five or above females. You know, recently right. divorced. Okay, so you find a lot of those gravitating <clears> towards a share accommodation. Um, it re works really well when you have a, a couple of older with, with one younger and they form a, a really close bond as a family. Uh, and you have a lot of diversity. So we've done a few boarding houses through Bendigo as an example last year, uh, late the year before. And, you know, you'd be quite surprised, even though it was, you know, I called it the Golden Triangle in, in Bendigo, CBD, hospital and uni, even though it was staying in the Golden Triangle, you'd have a, a diverse mix of, of tenants. So it could be the diversity and it could be the, I think, you know, it's going to be the common theme throughout tonight, diversity lowers risk. So when you have a boarding house, you have multiple income streams, multiple tenants, uh, potentially paying a lower chunk of it. They're all on fixed terms. It's not like they're coming in and out each week and booking for the weekends. Yep. Uh, yeah, it was an interesting take. Yeah, that is a really interesting um, thing, and and I, and I didn't really think about that. And I guess there's some there's some harrowing stats um, in in you know built into that as well. Um, yeah, getting back to that poll, um, fifty six percent of people are looking to purchase in fifty seven now in the next um, twelve months. Some, if they can get um, get the money, we just in reference to the original poll of property prices going up or down obviously that's a big question of the survey and probably the one that the that the media that jumped onto the results really probably wanted to have the answer to more than anything what was the common view um of the experts were prices going up or down uh yeah as, as i mentioned uh, i think we're probably sort of flicked ahead a little bit here 72 percent of respondents felt the prices will be lower in 12 months as opposed to today yeah. Uh, not many. So we did stagger this. Not many. You know, very few respondents, and all the data charts and things are in the report. Felt that prices will be significantly lower. Having said that, uh, I, I think as of today, we are in an environment where there's more questions than answers. Yeah. Uh, and as an investor, I've typically sort of tried to control as many variables as possible, and that uh, introduces risk to me. Yep. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm about lowering risk. Uh, you know, as we go on, each day is revealing more to us. So since this report has been published, uh, listings have dropped through the floor mm. uh, nationwide. Yes. So what does that mean and how does that, how do you digest that? Because as this report, you know, uh, you know, for a week or two there, the most common quote you'd see on Facebook was, you know, Warren Buffett, <laughs> you know, got quite sort of quite consistent where people were saying, you know, you know, buy when other people are fearful. Yep. Uh, Warren Buffett share, you know, is holding $137 billion worth of cash in his company at the moment. He's gone to cash. He yep. sold all of his airline holdings. You know, so he's fearful now. Mm. Um, you know, that's that sort of, for me, sort of, we, we don't know the extent of this yet. We've got so many unanswered questions. Uh, people are trying to, you know, the professionals or respondents are acting on what is in front of them. Uh, but that's changing every day. So it's a watch and wait for me, uh, which I can go into more details. But having said that, there might be some silver lining, some safe havens we can dive into, which we can we can jump into. Yeah, um, and that was a good segue into the more questions than answers, your four big um, <laughs> question marks there. But, yeah, I'll, I'll hand over the, the slides um, and let you sort of run through any any big um, takeaways from from the survey and anything that you're seeing in your data as well. I, I guess um, this is probably where we can start drilling down a little bit further because obviously you know we're all impacted and Australia is impacted in a similar way, but there are certain pockets which uh, can be more exposed, which we can dive into, and that's going to answer a few of the questions coming through, and some that are potentially offering safe haven. So I'm not talking 
Traditionally at Rightpass, we'll focus on finding high performance growth. Okay, so we've got a very good reputation. A lot of professionals and buyers agents rely on us to tell them where to buy, how and when. Okay, um, we're not talking about that now. We're talking about potentially buying or investing in locations that will provide a safe haven, uh, potentially insulated somewhat, or at least retaining or holding properties that you currently own in those locations. We're not talking about the upside. We're talking about forming a baseline of low risk that potentially can you know, provide that to, to launch off into the future. So yep. um, in doing that, let's dive into the micro, into a couple of studies that we've recently done uh, to find you know, microcosms of Australia, which potentially could be definitely stay away from, or we could potentially target for upside into the future. Um, first major, so this, is, this has been revealed to us through the questions from the respondents, and this was always the plan, right? So we've got a, a tremendous research resource in our data. We own all of our own data sets at Ripe House. Uh, you know, we've got an amazing team that we've, we've got built up to support. Uh, digesting that data and, and actually branching it off. Uh, so, you know, we were looking at what the respondents, the framework that they were looking to, to to operate under and their opinion, and then we were developing rule sets around that to analyse the data and highlight those risk and reward uh, scenarios. So first study that we, uh, and I can probably go a little bit deep here, Mike, so pull me out of the weeds if I get into right it. Um, first First, uh, at-risk segment is impacted by tourism. So this was yep. linked closely to how we can assess uh, areas with uh, high-risk tourism. So obviously you have people employed in tourism, but then also it's more direct the relationship between Airbnb concentrations and slash holiday home concentrations in the suburb because, uh, you know, we know that it's a very strong, relationship between rents and yields and value and when yields or rents change it has that to, to first and then flowing on from that the asset risk so in our just, research just, sorry but, Jacob, but, just lost you to a, a small technical glitch there for a second so um if you wouldn't mind just diving back in the relationship um you were talking about uh the relationship and the metrics between um price price growth based on the data or price movement yeah it's um we know probably the given that we had internally uh, is the relationship between rents yields and value and potential for capital growth so there's a very strong relationship uh we knew you know if airbnbs and holiday homes constitute a large makeup of the income generated from properties in that area and that was wiped out overnight it's going to have a flow-on effect the rental market will impact valuations for property and the sales market so yep. um we started off looking for those suburbs across the country that have higher concentrations of airbnbs and holiday homes we drew the line in the sand for suburbs that have more than two and a half percent concentration of those properties mm -hmm. okay and then we wanted to find areas where vacancy rates have already increased rapidly so because we update all of our own data sets daily you know we're monitoring this very closely as soon as you see a spike, we're onto it. Right. Okay, so we wanted to see those suburbs that have had a one percent increase in vacancy rates, uh, you know, at you know, you know, that day. You know, yeah. if has it occurred in the last week or so, um, but has it occurred since we started measuring it? And it's updated very regularly. So that was filtered down a little bit further. So high concentrations of at-risk property, vacancy rates have already moved. Okay, so you, you know, you have to think about that. You've got some. Uh, Bendigo is a, a great example. So Airbnb's in Bendigo. You've got uh, a lot of uh, transitional workers coming through the hospital, the large base hospital they have there. A lot of the short-term stays are actually in people employed in the health sector staying, uh, you know, for short periods in and out. Those guys are still staying in some of those Airbnbs and holiday homes. So it's not just enough to find the suburbs that have the high concentration of Airbnbs. There has to be that on-flow effect of people putting their properties on the market. So we've tracked vacancy rates because the thesis is that they can't find a tenant in Airbnb. It's completely, you know, uh, you know, radio silence there. They have to generate income from that property. They put it into the fixed term traditional rental market. Yep. We have a groundswell of properties hitting that market and then it's a race to the bottom. Okay, yep. we have to find a tenant. So I live in Battery Point here in Hobart. 
we have a very high concentration of Airbnb. So I make a market, we've got the restaurants and the water and things. Uh, you know, we we saw it here where the you know the, the property up the up the street, uh, lots of Airbnbs, four bedroom, two bath, fully renovated on the market for six fifty, fully furnished. Right. Okay, market rent for that's eight fifty to nine hundred. Yeah. Wow. So we saw that happening overnight, twenty or thirty listings flooding the market because people can't find tenants and it's a race to the bottom. We yeah. have to find a fixed term lease. So what if the mortgage? I know that property up the road's worth about two point two million. The mortgage on that, I mean, you're better at maths than I am. Like it's, it's going to be, it's going to be quite steep. Yes. Uh, they've got a mortgage holiday for six months, but what happens on the back end of that six months, where they've still got twelve months on that lease at six hundred and fifty dollars a week, they've now got a shortfall. Right. So where's that going to come from? So there might be a little bit of stress on the back end of these fixed term leases, uh, but in the short term, we are finding these at risk areas because of the spikes in vacancy rates. Yeah. And we wanted to see it's not not enough to see vacancy rate spikes, uh, because there might be tremendous rental demand in that area anyway, we had to then see a third criteria, which we've seen a reduction in the asking rents. Right. Okay, and the, the, uh, look, this is quite marked. So we've found a number of suburbs, 76 suburbs that fall into those criteria. Uh, to give you an example, at the pointy end, 11 suburbs have already had a 20% reduction in asking rent. This, wow. was four week, this was four or five weeks ago. Um, as an example, Balgola Heights in New South Wales. Uh, you know, it's an interesting one, Balgola. You've got a lot of people, a lot of tourists coming to there to stay close to Manly. They're visiting with their family. You've got uh, some people coming to stay there in Airbnbs for short-term professional reasons, visiting family in eastern suburbs, etc. We'd seen uh, in a very short space of time, I'm talking a week, a 3% increase in vacancy rates. And rents had dropped by thirty three percent. That's a dramatic, huge. dramatic change. So um, that really topped the list of places that were signalling drops in rent and asking prices for for sale, right? Yeah. Look, this is also as well before the government stepped in with the you know encouraging the banks to offer mortgage holidays because if they hadn't, their books would have been wiped uh, yeah. by that thirty three percent. So. You probably know this better than I do as well. And Will and our team, uh, you know, worked for my state bank in, in risk assessment there. Whenever we're looking at an appraisal of a property and we can't find valid comparables, and it's very commonly used in commercial property, um, when we can't find enough comparables, we go to an income capitalization method of, of appraising a property. Yep. And it's basically, in simple terms, you're looking at the income and you're generating value from that income. And there's a direct yep. relationship. And it's a it's a um, it's a valuation if you want to use that method, on top of like comparable sales, right? Yeah, yeah. But look, in, in this time, you know, we don't have comparable sales that are relevant post COVID yes. because we're in such a low sales environment. Okay, exactly. so potentially the correct method for many of these suburbs is that appraisal method. And if you had to sell those properties or value them today, potentially that would be you know more uh, you know. You, you'd pay more weight to that method than a uh, comparable analysis method. Uh, and were those yields higher before it dropped? Joseph's just asking the, the question, was, was you know, what were the yields pretty high compared to, to some of the neighbouring suburbs or the average in, in Sydney? It's a really good question. We didn't see a correlation between the rental drops and previously high yield amounts. And we all know Balgola Heights, a higher price point, lower yields, you know, 2.5% yield is traditional there for that sort of area. Yeah, so uh, that's not we high are, at all, really. No, we are talking, though, the the segment of property that that is impacted are the Airbnb rentals. Some of these yeah. suburbs, uh, Kingsford has, a, uh, don't quote me on this, so that the numbers just escaped me. I think it was about 25% Airbnb properties. So mm. when they all hit the market, you know, it's going to be a dramatic change. Balgola didn't have many renters. You know, it's traditionally an owner-occupier family on clave. So it is very sensitive to five or ten dwellings hitting the rental market at any one time. Right. Okay, and that's where you get the large spikes in vacancy rates. So, yeah, it was interesting. The correlation is to markets that have high tourism and dependency on tourism, uh, not necessarily where the yields were previous to COVID-19. Um, very close related to this concept is population growth. 
So yep. population has been driven by overseas migration to a large degree in Queensland and, and New South Wales. Um, when you turn a, a, a two or three percent population growth per annum down to a zero, uh, how does that impact things? So when you see a, a, a tap being turned off around short-term stays, that flows onto migration. So we haven't covered it in this report, but a lot of the research we've been doing in the last couple of weeks about those areas potentially most likely to be hit by changes in net migration. Yep. Um, I'm probably going into a little bit of detail. Go for it, mate. Yeah, yeah. Um, we love the detail, but we've got to keep, um, we've got to try and keep it snappy as well. Um, we've got still got a lot to cover. What about employment? That, that's, that's something that you dived into quite a bit. Um, in your look at that perfect little slide in. It's what like a thing, guys. Before. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> what can you tell us about, um, the at risk areas because of, of the, the types of employment, I guess? So this came came from the respondents and the deeper dive as well. That that was the you know the guidance from them and and you know pay attention to the to the national map over on the left as well. So out of the sixty nine suburbs that we found most at risk for changes to the employment landscape, this is where they were spread across the country. Uh, what we're talking about are suburbs that have high concentrations of residents working as of you know the report mm-hmm. in retail, hospitality, and tourism. Yep. Okay. Three at-risk segments. We're not sort of we're not talking about casual versus permanent. The report wasn't before the job seeker job keeper. Okay. Oh, sorry, was before there. So we didn't have that. uh, You know, it hasn't really changed. But these were the the most at-risk. The damage had already been done before job seeker and job keeper when this report was published. By the way, because we've identified six hundred nine thousand suburbs that have these high concentrations of workers. Yep. And they had already seen dramatic decreases in rental asking price. So we drew that line in the sand. Places yep. like Chippendale, Centennial Park, St. Peter's, to give you, you know, for the, for the uh, New South Welshman, uh, a bit of context, are the yep. types of suburbs that we're talking about here. Yep. Uh, now, now these, you mentioned that JobKeeper's potentially saving things a little bit. So this is pre-JobKeeper, but... These these sorts of sectors, um, retail, hospitality, tourism, they are still quite highly impacted by um, overseas tourism as well, right? So it, it, even though things might not be quite as dire because we're talking pre-JobKeeper, there's still exposure, they're still at risk, right? Yeah, it's uh, they're still related. So we're talking about these suburbs that, you know, Chippendale is an example. You've got a lot of workers in and around the shopping centres and the retail. Uh, you know, so if the people employed there are impacted, it's the actual trade that's going on in these areas that's impacted as well. Yep. Uh, it's a little bit, probably it needs to be clarified because the impact to rents is different in this suburb. So we're not having a, a dramatic amount of Airbnb rentals being listed for fixed-term rentals, okay? Mm-hmm. It's not just overnight having another 50 properties hit the rental market. It's rents. It's it's leases coming up for expiry, or it's the properties that are already on the market having no one showing up for an open home. Yep. Okay. So that's that already had started to take place. Yeah, and I guess just as a reminder, we're we're talking about the impact on on rents and property prices, not you know which sectors are suffering the most. It's it's what's which sectors are suffering that leads to the influence on the property markets. Yeah. Look. This all has to be said. We're talking about risk at the moment. This is a risk analysis conversation. We haven't seen any reduction. You know, I can speak generally now. We haven't seen property price impact yet. Yep. So people are not in distress and having to sell. It hasn't translated to that. But if they were to, you know, we can't control what's happening in the next three months. If, uh, you know, the variables change to the, to the downside and people started being and having to sell, where are we going to start seeing the, 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 the depressions, the, the higher risk, uh, you know, and, and the downward spirals occurring if it was yep. to happen? So, you know, we're just we're really just framing this because it's a thought process we need to have in the back of our minds to assess areas like this. Um, the one takeaway, takeaway for me, I mean, you know, I've, I've been prying properties in multiple states, multiple strategies now for, you know, since I was quite young. Um, you know, I've done it all. I've made a lot of mistakes. You know, I have really pushed things right to the limit, uh, you know, in what I've done back when you get 103% sort of mortgages. Um, Good old days. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, 
probably my point though is I, I didn't really stop to think about the downside risk, you know, yeah. and, and I don't think a lot of these people that have been, you know, in the Airbnb sector, chasing the high yields, you know, revving their properties, maximizing obviously you know, depreciation one, but the, the, you know, probably in some, some cases overspending or overcapitalizing on that property to attract Airbnb listings. Now they're left with this property that's fully maximised in the renos with no tenants and they're having to, you know, they've spent forty, fifty thousand 50000 on furniture and they're having to put it into a tenant market and have yeah. someone moving in with a dog. I noticed with a property up the street today or yesterday, uh, I know the owner of that property and there's no way that he would have a dog in that house uh, yeah. and there's a dog come bounding out the door. So, do you know what I mean? You're making compromises. Um, you know, did, did those people with those Airbnb listings stop to think about what would happen if tourism stopped yep. overnight because I, I don't think many of them did no okay, and, and, and i think this this the pandemic has blindsided a lot of people right um and and you know it seems like those good times are going to go forever right? a lot of people have made some good money on these airbnb properties getting fantastic yields yeah uh, but that's that's the point mike you know you have to stop and think about these these black swans yeah uh, when you're pushing the boundaries on these advanced strategies and that's probably the only takeaway um, what I've realized in my personal investing, and it really does come back to it, um, you know, we, we were working, we worked with, you know, before COVID, uh, around 80 buyers agents, okay? So the number of properties we were buying each month was very dramatic. Yes. Okay, and the best results that we time and time again gravitated towards were just the, uh, just the, you know, very, uh, you know, what am I trying to say? You bread know, and the butter the, properties. The bread and butter. The four or five. Jan Summer said it really well in More Wealth from Residential Property 20 years ago. The threes and the fours out of 10. Yep. Okay. We don't need to do anything crazy here. You've got a five, ten, fifteen thousand dollar cosmetic reno. Get your depreciation schedule done. Get, you know, a thousand bucks back on your tax. Cash flow positive. Yep. Um, where, where it's much possible. So you're lowering the risk of incomes in nice, stable, diverse employment areas. You're getting those properties where you can value it. You don't want to overcapitalize, but you've got very strong drivers for growth. Um, you can diversify based on having more properties at lower price points. Yep. I mean, that's what we found. The bread and butter uh, were the best investments that we bought en masse for the nation's buyers agents. Um, everyone sort of tries to take shortcuts and go to these edge cases. Yep. Uh, I think we've got to sort of step back and go, you know, what is the risk associated with these investments now? Well, I think some people are learning a, a pretty hard hard lesson at the, at the moment, certainly with cash buffers and things like that. We've um, we've, we've spent a bit of time on the at-risk um, side of the spectrum. Where are the safe havens? Point us to the areas where there there is um, the, you know there there is diversification in the employment and and all those sorts of things that that make it more of a safe um, safe bet. And I'll just try and move our little window there so we're not cutting off the text as well. Look, this is where it gets interesting. This is what I love. I love focusing on the positives. I'm not a bear. You know, I'm, I'm a bull in property. Uh, you know, I, I prefer to look at the upside and not the downside. So this is where I get excited. I just probably want to really clarify again, we, we do maintain a private list of high-performance approved growth locations. Yep. They are slightly different to this, so it's turning the, the the risk up slightly for you know two or three times x potential returns. Yep, this is our safe haven. This is our baseline. Yep. Uh, interestingly, a very large focus on New South Wales here, um, which was contradicting the respondents. But when you take the logic from their answers and you apply it to the data, this is where the suburbs popped out. They fell through. Yep. Okay, so it's interesting that the disconnect there between the gut feeling and the opinion and, you know, reading between the lines of their responses and applying it to a rule set. Yep. Um, what we look for, so the suburb has to have diverse employment, okay? So if it's 80% of people are in tourism or retail, that's not diverse, it's at risk, okay? If, by the same token, 70% of people are in mining, it's at risk, okay? We don't know yet if there's going to be some other, you know, turn that we take in a few months and mining is shut down okay we don't know that yet so at this point we're talking about lowering risk and that comes from diversification so highly diverse mix of employment insulated from airbnb so low airbnb levels okay so that's taking the tourism out of the mix uh you know reliance on that currently low vacancy rate 
Uh, we have a very strong correlation in these times between low vacancy, stable baseline rental markets with the potential for increase. Asking rents are holding. Okay, so they're holding the line. We're seeing very strong and resilient asking rents, a healthy rental market. We're seeing low supply in the pipeline. So this is a very interesting one where, um, look, I, I'm not going to lie, we're, we're buying a lot of properties for clients, uh, clients of clients in Queensland. Yep. Uh, Queensland, it's you know has lots of great things going for it. It is very dependent on high population growth to sustain that growth. Okay, that's you know it's always been the move to Queensland, the warmer weather. Uh, you know, internationals coming into Queensland directly. What happens when you turn population growth down? Yep. Um, you're left with supply. So if you take Morton Bay as an example, uh, it's a favourite of investors who probably don't. So dig a little bit deeper and they go, wow, you've got 4% population growth. You look at Kalanga, it's got 8% of properties in the current supply pipeline. So that is approved for development in this current pipeline. So that's right. yet to be built. Yeah. Okay, so you can see you've got a little bit of an imbalance there. So when you turn 4% down to 1 or 0 and you're left with 8% supply, you're at risk. So we, we assumed low population growth and we, we wanted to find those areas that have low housing supply. Okay, what you've found in a lot of the areas through New South Wales, you know, it's been a depressed market now for two years. You've got, you've got builders and developers on hard times that haven't been putting stock into the pipeline. So over the long term, you've got a low supply uh, environment in New South Wales, yep. which hit our box just by the, the very fact of where the market was in the cycle. Yeah. Um, we wanted to see, I'll race through this a little bit, I'm aware of time. So we yeah, wanted yeah. to see above average per capita project spend. Okay, so what I mean there is new hospitals, roads, education, commercials. We track over 1,500 projects with a capitalization over $20 million every quarter. Okay, we're digging into that. <laughs> and the example I give is, if you've got, and this is a bad example, but it's my usual example, so I'm not going to change it. If we've got a, a, a 50 room hotel being built in Bondi, okay, a five star ocean views, okay, silver service, whatever it might be, um, the employment, I don't care about the construction employment, that's short term, okay, I care about the utility created by the ongoing employment for that. Yep. Okay, so we know that your average 12, sorry, one staff member per 12 rooms in that type of dwelling, that's permanent staff, and then you have all the casual workforce that falls off it, okay. Most of that workforce, so 80% of that Bondi five-star hotel are not going to live in Bondi. They can't afford to rent there. They're cooks, the cleaners, okay, the, the, the housekeepers, whatever it might be, they're not living in Bondi. Yep. So you have a matrix. You know, you have 20% of people living in the city of Parramatta. You have 20% of people in Blacktown. You have a few down in, you know, the Sutherland Shire, okay? It's very few people employed in that hotel actually live in Bondi. So if you track new projects to where they are located to determine where you invest, you're getting it wrong and very wrong. Okay, what you have to do is you have to look at all the projects, look at where people are employed live for those projects, and then you add them up there. So, you know, the hotel adds 10% to, to, to Parramatta, but the industrial complex going out near the airport adds a little bit to Parramatta as well, so some total of all, okay? And we ruled out all of our projects that were based on retail, tourism and hospitality okay we took them out of the mix it's interesting because um, when the government announces infrastructure projects they talk about the jobs that it creates normally just in the construction phase rather than the operation phase so that's a really interesting point and, and on Cara's question she's asking is one high risk or the higher the number the the, the higher the risk but you're, you're actually talking about the number of safe haven suburbs Uh, I just haven't got the question in front of me. So yeah, th this is this was the layers or the filters that we went through. Um, tick yep. tick tick tick, and out the bottom fell fifty five suburbs. So these are all in a similar bucket, yep. um, and these are the criteria that we used to get there. Um, yeah. And we wanted to see. So this is coming back to the diversity of, of the, the comments of the respondents. We wanted to see a diversity of income, tenure of ownership, and mortgage percentage. So uh, we wanted to see a nice mix between tenants and owner occupiers houses and units, uh, and the mortgage rates and percentage of home ownership in the suburbs. So we want to see nice diversity there. So this is, a, this is giving you... Sorry, go for it, mate. Yeah, you're right after you. This is giving you a, a, a 
insulated safe haven uh, cluster of suburbs. And look, this is not financial advice. Please go on and, you know, we, we can go through that spiel. Um, you can see the methodology here. You can jump onto the report. Um, you know, you can, you can see the suburbs in front of you and you can go away and you can do your own due diligence and research. Um, this is not a big buy signal, rush out to buy, but this is just trying to change the way that you would analyze how you're going to be making your next investment. And just uh, on that, I've, I've, I've shared the, the report and I'm just now sharing the, um, the safe haven suburbs report as well. Um, so people are welcome to, to dive into that. While we, whilst we jump on to the next part of what we've seen in, in the last little while, Jake, because obviously there was a bit of a time delay between when that survey originally was, was sent out to, to today. I'm yep. interested to, to hear from people whether they would, uh, whether they would go across Australia to find the best particular deal or whether they would prefer to invest locally. Um, so I'll let that poll run for a second, but run us through um, what we've seen in the last little while and then we'll jump into a Q&A um, shortly as well. Let's do it. Um, so that, that research was six weeks ago. Yep. Um, we've got, look, I'm, I'm saying it right now, so our business, uh, you know, we work closely with buyer's agents. We've seen a 90% reduction of purchases through the buyer's agent channel in the industry. Wow. Okay, so uh, we've, you know, as a, as a business, that, that's sort of hit us pretty hard. Um, we've got tremendous assets uh, and an amazing team that, that we've built up. Um, we've got to get to work. We've got to work out when we can actually safely get out there and start digesting and buying investment properties again. And when people are, you know, we have to supply information. So. We're basically taking the opinion of let's let's step up the game. You know, let's double down on pumping out you know interesting commentary uh, analysis um, and trying to get to the heart of what's happening. And you know, you'll all know when we know. So, I, you know, I haven't actually announced this, but um, I'm taking this opportunity to we're opening up all of our data and we're giving it away. Right. Okay? So, you know, to the degree of I. Uh, you know, I'm very proud of the data sets and what we have available. Everyone needs to be able to digest it together with us to work out when we can actually safely purchase again. And the other the other area that we're opening up with COVID, so open source data, open source content and research. So we're going to be really digesting things and opening things out to change the way people are looking at this through livehouse.com.au uh, and the content that we're creating again. So um Look out for that. There'll be some information on that. Latest bit of research that we'll uh, release, what's today? So Monday, he sent this through to us and the team and the piece of content about this came out uh, today. We're around, I've noticed SQM released some similar research as well. So this is our own data. Um, we're able to digest it and release it in the same way, uh, you know, that, that they can. But we sort of changed the perspective on it a little bit. So it's the capitals versus the rest of the state. Yep. A lot of the, the best growth results that we've achieved over the last five years have been in key regionals. Okay, We're not talking Gladstone's one mining towns. We're talking yep. about key satellite cities' diverse makeups attached to our capitals. So it was interesting to see that, that what we wanted to get to the heart of a capital versus rest of state and how listings have fallen off of a cliff. Okay, The data is out there. The research is out there. It's in AFR. That's known. The story behind this is where you sort of need to apply the knowledge of the industry, okay? So I know firsthand, uh, been very close to many buyers uh, and many buyers agents that, you know, the first thing that when all this happened, clients were telling buyers agents, great, okay? If I don't get 10% on the market, don't show me a property. Yep. Okay, so instantly overnight, buyers, investors across the country were like, all right, this is a perfect opportunity for me to launch into a property uh, and take a 10% haircut on the same properties you were showing me last week, okay? And sellers are not having to sell, okay? You know, things haven't impacted people overnight. The government's kicked in. Sellers are not forced to sell. They're choosing to withdraw their listings or not list in the first place. So the story behind listing reductions, and we've seen very dramatic drops in listings hitting the market, is that buyers are not willing to pay. They've been a little bit greedy and they're trying to take haircuts and sellers are not having a bar of it. Yep. It's a waiting game. So we're in a hopefully we're in a holding we're pattern, right? Holding pattern, low volumes. Okay, and remember, for all those people that follow stocks, um, you know, property is like any market. Okay, low volume equals no signal. Okay, you yeah. can't trade off low volume. 
It's not bore, it's not bear. We're in low volume. So any price movement occurring at the moment is a false signal. Yep. Okay, we can't follow it. Um, it's a waiting game. We've got to wait for the sellers uh, potentially to be forced to sell. Okay? Yep. Or, you know, that's not the, the positive scenario, but that's when we're going to see some really downwards pressure on the market because remember, if sellers are forced to sell, then buyers are potentially going to be equally impacted at that same time. Yep. Okay? Buyers are... Small business owners, they're employees. Sellers are small business owners, employees. If things, you know, the shit hits the fan, there's not going to be many buyers and there's not going to be many buy sellers and, yep. you know, potentially the, the market wins out in that scenario. So, um, you know, it all could pass and things could get rosy and volumes lift and that's when we then see the true representation of what's happening with property. And it um, begs the, the question and a great question that Michael has asked, which is crystal balling you a bit, Jacob, it's when the mortgage freeze ends, um, how do we see this affecting property? Obviously, that's where, you know, the, the, in the game of musical chairs, the music stop and everyone tries to find a seat. What do we think is going to happen when that mortgage um, payment freeze stops? Um, and Michael yeah. has generously given the op option to reserve your answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't. I don't want to get involved in an opinion game. Okay, so we're, the research that we're pulling out is Westpac. So this is this is the this is the the data points that we can look at. Westpac have had a seventy percent reduction in profits. So I, I think the data. Don't quote me on this. Is one hundred and twenty thousand people from that bank alone have asked for a mortgage deferral. Yep. Okay, so extrapolate that out across all the other banks and the smaller lenders. You've got a lot of people who have already applied for it, so it's impacting a, a large tranche of property owners. Uh, you've, you've got a lot of people that have locked in lower rentals. Okay, yeah. So prices might not have moved. The data coming out is prices are holding up quite well. Income leads prices. Okay, People have locked in lower income on their property, and generally those leases are 12 months long. Okay, The mortgage holiday is not 12 months. So on the back end of that, people are going to have a shortfall. Is that going to result? So, you know, that that's already locked in as of now. You know, we go back to work tomorrow, the kids go back to school, life's all fired up, we go down to the pub and have a beer. Those rents are still lower for another six months, okay? Yeah. That's that's something that concerns me a little bit. Um, yeah, it's... I don't feel the banks can extend the holiday, okay? So I think it's a bit of a, uh, a knife edge at the moment. Um, you know, we'll flat the curve hopefully it stays there hopefully we can open shop up again the banks probably won't be so happy to extend the mortgage holiday hopefully the volumes can start rising again you know sellers gain more confidence they hold their line you know they don't need a discount the buyers start being more realistic they have more confidence they start paying higher prices again and things level out that's yeah. what i'm hoping okay yeah. any other opinion from that you know i'm i don't <laughs> you know I'm, I'm not a doctor um yeah, if anyone has say, but i'm if anyone has any questions about um, the data and, and how Jacob's analytics works on, on predicting the price movements or anything that he's seeing or will be watching very, very carefully um, to signal where potentially the market's going, that could be a great um, question for Jacob. I know everyone wants to sort of pin you to the wall and say up or down, <laughs> what's happening, where do I buy and all that sort of stuff. Obviously, the, the Safe Havens report is, is, is showing where areas have great diversification in, in employers, uh, in employment, um, and there's obviously been some signals in certain suburbs where vacancy rates are increasing and yields are mm. dropping and, and those safe haven suburbs are not seeing that. So that's a that's a good resource to check out. But, um, yeah, I'd encourage anyone to ask uh, some questions in the last um, couple of minutes. We'll try and sort of keep it to an hour. Absolutely. Um, but it's been uh, it's been fantastic, sort of seeing your insights um, in the last little little while, Jacob. Some a lot of work has gone into it, and a lot of um, sleepless nights, I think, as well. Um, and and just in in finishing towards the end of um, of the slides, you you mentioned uh, Queensland is obviously an area that you're you're warning people off at the moment. Can you talk to us quickly about Queensland and and why that's um, that's an area that you're willing to hold on? Yeah, the, the story comes down to population pressure. Okay, yep. so the, the growth story, we see growth, okay, um, it's, it's a number of factors. It's not. It's a little bit more complicated than supply and demand, and I'm not trying to complicate things uh, unnecessarily. 
When we find high growth, we look at the overall opportunity and there are a number of components to demand, okay? So we have employment, lifestyle, new projects, okay? Minus supply, which is new supply and pipeline equals the overall opportunity. Yep. So one of those key components, you know, employment's that's all chugging along, you know, in, Queensland is impacted in a similar way to, to every other state. Lifestyle, you know, it's probably leading the charge there in terms of lifestyle and some of the utilities associated with it. When you take population out of the equation, uh, it was a very strong bias towards that leading the charge on the demand side in Queensland. Um, when that falls away and you're left with very high supply, that balancing act uh, doesn't look so favourable. You compare that to somewhere like Adelaide, uh, Adelaide's um, employment, you know, similar. So I'm just this is just a, a more generalised example. Lifestyle not quite there compared to Queensland. Population very low, one percent, one and a half percent. Queen, you know, Adelaide has traditionally had very low population growth. Doesn't need that to still deliver, you know, very strong growth over the long term because it has very healthy employment uh, and low supply. Okay. So when you take the population growth out of it, you're left with low supply, good employment. You know, that's the sort of way you need to think about the opportunity. And that's why we've moved away from Queensland. Um, conversations I have with a lot of the buyers agents, I've, you know, advised as much as I can that we're not recommending Queensland anymore yep. for client purchases. What about um, the, the regionals? Um, there's a lot of questions about regional areas and how much they factor into your research. And is, is there something that you can tell us about regionals compared to some of the more densely populated areas? Yeah, so regionals, you've, you've got to be very fussy, okay? But you have the, uh, I think the benefit that you have when you're targeting the regionals is you have some variety and you have a number of options, okay? So you've got to look for diversity and try and apply those safe haven concepts to the regionals. Uh, you know, we're very bullish on a number of our key regionals. Um, that, that's private advisory information, I guess, if I told you I'd have to kill you. Um, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's, yeah, you, you can dig in a little bit deeper, but probably it's coming back to diversity lowers risk. Okay, very important point. We've gone on and on about it. Uh, covered in the report quite extensively by a lot of the respondents. Uh, regionals offer that up in many cases. Yep. You know, you've got towns that are you know strong into the, the employment, into 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 um, government, uh, agriculture, mining. Looking for the variety, looking for the key access points and hubs, looking for when population starts firing up, changes to demographics and trends. So you know, tree changes, etc. You've got those influences on population, uh, and then looking at. Uh, those healthy rental markets that provide that baseline where we can they can fight through it. I mean, you're not having any impact to rentals or vacancies or yields at the moment at, at potentially the worst time for it. So um, yeah, it's definitely green shoots out there. Yeah, and, and just on that, there's a couple of questions about um, about Queensland. Will will your sort of predictions for Queensland change? Um, specifically, we've got people asking about the Sunshine Coast as well. Um, the, the, I, I guess the, the the research findings were were about six weeks ago, but these this this data that we're talking about, the safe havens, the areas of avoid, to avoid, how how fluid is that based on the curve flattening and all those sorts of things? I think what people don't really comprehend uh, is, and I'm not patronising anyone, you know, now, it's just sort of, this is the, the national dialogue that I've been noticing is that how long is it going to take for population to fire up into these places? So, you know, we've done very well in, in lowering the curve. When are we going to turn the taps on for overseas migration into Australia? Yep. Okay, and that filters through. You look at the breakdown into, into even Sunshine Coast, you have a, a massive reliance on overseas net population growth. When you turn that down to a zero for the foreseeable future, whether it's six months, 12 months, 18 months before that tap gets turned on again for that area, that's scary in itself. But just mm. remember that you've got six, 12, 18 months worth of supply that's currently been built, putting into the pipeline that hasn't been sold yep. yet. No one's bought it. And what's going to happen to that? It's stockpiling. It's, it's, it's supplies there. There's no demand. So what's yeah. going on? So you have how long after population gets turned on again does that supply, uh, you know, is consumed and we then have an undersupply. Um, what, so that could take another six or 12 months after that. 
Yeah, and that's a bit of a scary thought. What about some of the initiatives that the government has has tabled? Um, one example that David is asking a question about is removing stamp duty and the likely impact of that on the market. Are, are there any of these red tape style taxes that would have a, a huge impact on on the movement of prices? How do you think that would influence your data? Yeah, it's um, we, we've seen. It's been very difficult, I guess, traditionally to segment out. So probably the example I use is a first-home buyer's grant. Yep. Um, to, to, to segment that out and try and work out what types of properties first-home buyers will be buying, um, you know, looking at supply and, uh, the, you know, the demographics, etc. it's hard to pull them out to find an impact on property. Um, this is obviously a blanket change, stamp duty. Um, if it's transferring dollar amounts into people's pockets, you know, the logic would dictate that it's just transferred directly over to their willingness to pay more for a property, you know, their spending power. But I think in this current scenario, it's going to be offset by the ability to access funding and finance. Yep. You know, low interest rates, we've got liquidity from RBA, but uh, what's happening with serviceability and what's happening with confidence and sentiment for people to go out and get loans? So yes. um, there's a lot of questions that I, I guess remain unanswered there and i'm not trying to answer a question with more questions um, <laughs> yes. yeah it's it's um look, it, we probably need to keep checking in yeah and and look uh, on that note there's a couple of probably unanswered questions from the questions from tonight um so if you're <laughs> happy jacob we will let you go to bed at some stage but um i'll flick some through and um yeah we'll we'll we'll, we'll get some answers um to anyone that's asked anything that we haven't covered tonight but um i think we'll 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 wrap it up there um the file should be available in a little file downloady tabby section so click around there and if you can't find it it's a little bit different on my screen sorry if you can't find it you can shoot a, a message in the chat and we'll make sure that that gets um to you but Thank you very much for sharing your insights and your wisdom tonight, um, Jacob, and thank you for everyone coming on board and uh, and listening and asking the, the questions. It's been really great. Um, I appreciate your time coming on. Any final words? Oh, I always love the, uh, you know, jumping on and, and, and chatting with you, and I appreciate, you know, people taking their time away from Scott tonight to, <laughs> to, to join us for a property conversation. Uh, look, I think we, we've got a step back. Jump on to rightpouse.com.au. So we're really trying to divert our resources to generating content to help answer questions. Uh, follow, follow that closely. Um, you know, reach out to us. Um, I, I think we have to watch and wait. It's probably the, the key takeaway. Um, it's only my opinion, I guess, but look, let's all be in this together and... and that's how we can proceed with safety. Yeah, and good on you for sharing your, your data too. I think at this point, everyone's sort of trying to help out as best they can. You're sitting on some pretty valuable resources there. So, um, you know, well done in, in opening that up. And I, I think you'll, you'll help to, to guide us through some of the media noise with some real data. But um, we'll, we'll, we'll chat again uh, hopefully soon, Jacob. But thanks very much for tonight. And thanks, everyone, for, for jumping Thank you, everybody. on board. And, yeah, Absolutely. reach out to us if you've got any further questions. You'll find us on social media pretty pretty.